June 30th, Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 38. When it was all over, Paul sent for the believers and encouraged them. Then he said goodbye and left for Macedonia. Along the way, he encouraged the believers in all the towns he passed through. Then he traveled down to Greece, where he stayed for three months. He was preparing to sail back to Syria when he discovered a plot by some Jews against his life, so he decided to return through Macedonia. Several men were traveling with him. They were Sopater of Berea, the son of Theorus, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derbe, Timothy, Antichicus, and Trophimus, who were from the province of Asia. They went ahead and waited for us at Troas. As soon as the Passover season ended, we boarded a ship at Philippi in Macedonia, and five days later arrived in Troas, where we stayed a week. On the first day of the week, we gathered to observe the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching, and since he was leaving the next day, he talked until midnight. The upstairs room where we met was lighted with many flickering lamps. As Paul spoke on and on, a young man named Eutychus, sitting on the window sill, became very drowsy. Finally, he sank into a deep sleep and fell three stories to his death below. Paul went down, bent over him, and took him into his arms. Don't worry, he said. He's alive. Then they all went back upstairs and ate the Lord's Supper together. And Paul continued talking to them until dawn. Then he left. Meanwhile, the young man was taken home unhurt, and everyone was greatly relieved. Paul went by land to Essos, where he had arranged for us to join him, and we went on ahead by ship. He joined us there, and we sailed together to Mytilene. The next day, we passed the island of Chaos. The following day, we crossed to the island of Semos, and a day later, we arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided against stopping at Ephesus this time because he didn't want to spend further time in the province of Asia. He was hurrying to get to Jerusalem, if possible, for the festival of Pentecost. But when we landed at Miletus, he sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus asking them to come down to meet him. When they arrived, he declared, You know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly, yes, and with tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. Yet I never shrank from telling you the truth, either publicly or in your homes. I have had one message for Jews and Gentiles alike, the necessity of turning from sin and turning to God and of faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I am going to Jerusalem, drawn there irresistibly by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit has told me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about God's wonderful kindness and love. And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. Let me say plainly that I have been faithful. No one's damnation can be blamed on me for I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants for you. And now, beware. Be sure that you feed and shepherd God's flock, His church, purchased with His blood, over whom the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. 
I know full well that false teachers, like vicious wolves, will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some of you will distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out! Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day, and my many tears for you. And now I entrust you to God and the word of His grace, His message that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those He has set apart for Himself. I have never coveted anyone's money or fine clothing. You know that these hands of mine have worked to pay my own way, and I have even supplied the needs of those who are with me. And I have been a constant example of how you can help the poor by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them. They wept aloud as they embraced him in farewell, and most of all because he said that they would never see him again. Then they accompanied him down to the ship. Deuteronomy 10, 14, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens and the earth and all that is in it. I, I love this verse because what Moses is writing there is not just heaven, but the heaven of heavens belongs to God. So when we look up at the stars, we're seeing this kind of tiny little piece of the universe. We're like, wow, that's vast. It's like it blew David's mind, right? And God's like, hey, 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 hey. Like, I, I, I love that you're digging the Milky Way here, but listen the heavens of the heavens of the heavens. Those are mine too. In fact, as far as there is, is mine. Abraham Kuyper said it like this. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. So everything is his, that God owns everything, and he owns it differently than you and I own it. See, you and I are stymied in our creativity. We are blocked. There's a ceiling we hit because we need resources enabled to create. So if you're a writer, your ability to write hinges upon the language you know, the dictation you know, your, your ability to get ways to write. You need, you can't create them out of nothing. You must have things in order to create. If you are a painter, you are hemmed in. Your ceiling is the colors that exist. You will not, no matter how gifted of an artist you are, create a new color. It's not coming for you. I'm not saying you're not lights out, artsy, and tight jeans right now. I'm saying that you're not creating a new color that you will be hemmed in by your canvas, you're not creating a new color. God's wealth doesn't work like that. God creates out of nothing anything he wants and as much of it as he wants at any time that he wants to do it. He is wholly other than us when it comes to wealth. So Bill Gates, Rockefeller, Jay-Z, everybody, they, they've got bills. I mean, they've got money. I'm not trying to take away from their wealth, but their wealth is dependent upon creation, yet our God's wealth goes well beyond creation because he is the creator. If he wanted to make a new color, he would. And if he wanted to create a new animal, he would. And if he wanted to build a, a billion, trillion dollar mansion somewhere in the world, he'd just tell it to do it. God is never in a panic. He's never wondering how to get you through college. He's not worried about what kind of job you're going to get. He's not, he's not built like that. 
How deep is the wisdom and knowledge of God? God knows every word in every language, in every sentence, in every paragraph, in every chapter of every book ever written. He knows every fact of history past and future, every bit of truth discovered and undiscovered. He knows it all. There is nothing that he does not know. Truths known and truths unknown to be discovered later, God knows. It's why, as the people of God, we never need to be afraid of what is true. Ever. If you see this, if you meditate on this, if you get this in your gut, that he is sovereign in all of his knowing. And we begin to trust his provision. Anxiety begins to give way. We can rest. It means we have to see him for who he is, the depths of his riches and his wisdom and his knowledge, and that he's inscrutable in his sovereign reign because he knows more than we could ever know, and that it could be trusted that he is good.